Hey, we are doing, looking at uh, different aspects of Christmas here in these last few Sundays and Christmas Eve. But today, I'm not sure if you've realized this, that we have a Christmas oxymoron. All right, that's not a name calling. An oxymoron is a combination of words that have opposite or very different meanings, like cruel kindness. Okay, that's what an oxymoron is, a combination of words that have very different meanings. And so there's actually a Christmas oxymoron I want to show you, but let me just show you some of these. They're kind of fun. Oxymorons that you might find out there. Jumbo shrimp, right? Those two words don't go together. Clean dirt, right? No. Always open, except for closed, right? These, you can't put these together. Cruise ships use airport exit. I thought they used the boat exits. Anyways, uh, Dry Creek Water Park. Dog run, no pets passed here, right? <laughs> How about this one? Genuine fake watches. <laughs> you get the real deal there. Two-hour parking, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. You got to squeeze those two hours in. All right. How about Lively Cemetery? He can't read the sign, I don't think. No pets allowed. All pets must be on the leash, right? Illiterate, write for free help. And the last one, Mississippi's literacy program shows improvement. Keep working at it, guys. Keep working. All right? M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Okay, you got it? All right. So, there is actually, so there's a combination of words that have opposite or very different meanings. Okay? And there's actually one in the Christmas story. There's a combination of words, and you, you go, these can't go together. These mean the opposite things. So I want us to see that and then kind of unpack it today. So let's start. I want to read Luke's account of the birth narrative. One of our elders, Scott, read the promise, the foretelling to Mary a little bit ago that she would have this child. In Luke chapter 2, we hear the account of how the family got to Bethlehem and the birth there. And I'll just see if you can pick up the Christmas oxymoron as we read it. So I want to read Luke chapter 2. We're going to do verses 1 to 14. Luke chapter 2, 1 to 14. Looking for our Christmas oxymoron. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So I don't know if it jumped out to you. It might not be that obvious, but there's an actual oxymoron right there in what the angels sing. Right there in verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest, and then they say, peace on the earth, peace. Glory and peace. God's glory bringing peace on earth. That's an oxymoron. That's two words you don't put together. Whenever in the Bible God's glory is present, it does not bring peace. Just look a few verses earlier. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And what happened? They were afraid, right? Whenever God's glory shows up, it does not create peace on the earth. It creates fear. It creates terror. It creates dread. When the angel showed up in this very scene, it created fear, And they were afraid of the angel, and the angel said to say, don't be afraid. And then they get that verse 14, they say, there's glory to God, his glory, but then there's going to be peace on the earth. How do these go together? These are normally exclusive things. When the glory of God does not bring peace, it brings fear. So our point today, we're going to look at this, is this idea that Christmas finally allows God's glory to bring peace on the earth. Christmas is going to solve this oxymoron. It's going to allow these two things that normally don't go together to go together. We're going to try to see how Christmas fixes that, solves that idea that God's glory can bring peace on the earth when normally God's glory brings fear on the earth. So let me just start with a definition. What are we talking about with glory? Glory, the the original ancient word glory, really the, the word is weight, that which is massive and important. Not, that, not in terms of like pounds on a scale, but in terms of significance. The weight, the most important person in the room. The person with the most significance in the community was, was weighty. When the king came, they had glory because they had the greatest amount of importance and honor. It has the idea of splendor. You know, wealth is included in that. As you get to the New Testament, the word for glory picks up some nuances of things like honor. What people think about you, you have an amazing reputation. So you have the idea of honor and reputation woven in there. 
So when we talk about God's glory, we have this something that's massive, splendor. Often it is accompanied with bright light. There's an amazing amount of honor and reputation. This is God we're talking about here. That's the idea of glory. I'll give you some examples where we encounter it. Just I want us to really lock glory into our mind. That is uh, Mount Hood in Oregon. And every summer, last several years, we, we go down to uh, Sun River, which is near Bend, Oregon. And I don't know if you've taken this road, but if you're going westbound to eastbound, so you're leaving Portland to the east and you get on Highway 26, which takes you east out of Portland, and you wind your way up, you're kind of in the trees. It feels a lot like any road you'd be here. And you come around a certain bend and there's Mount Hood. It's just like you can't see it, you can't see it. Boom, it is glorious. It is huge. It's similar to Mount Rainier, but there's something about the way the road winds you up that when you turn the corner, it's like you're on this thing. It's right in your face. It's massive. It's weighty. It's glorious. It's intimidating. Right? There's, you, the mountain winds over you. There's just something massive. So we could say it's glorious. Give us a sense. This summer, um, my dad and I and my two younger boys, we drove from here to Illinois to visit my sister, and so on the way, we went through Yellowstone National Park. And our, we were looking for bison, looking for bison. We call them buffalo, but the people correct you, they're actually bison. Uh, so we're looking for these things, and on the way out, we finally see them. They're right next to the road. That gravel you see at the bottom of the shot, that's the edge of the road. They're right there. And so I'm trying to snap pictures really quick, but there was this bull. These are kind of little ones. There was this bull that came up, and his head was as big as the door of the truck. He's just massive head on this. I mean, the whole thing was huge, but it just looked like if he just wanted to, he could just push our truck right over, just like, no problem. I mean, it was, he's glorious. It's massive. It's weighty. There's power. There's there's a reputation, right, with these bison. And, and now we have YouTube to show you the reputation where they toss grown men like rag dolls. Like when they say, don't walk out there and take pictures, it's not a suggestion, right? These things are massive. They're not pets at Yellowstone. But, anyways, the buffalo are glorious. The, head, the bulls are unbelievably powerful. So, those are things that you might encounter in creation that give you a sense of glory, something that's massive something that's weighty, something with honor and reputation, and you kind of react like, wow. But it happens with people. Now, don't laugh at this one, but this is real to me. Uh, Some of you will know who this person is. This is the Seahawks' first quarterback, Jim Zorn. And uh, left-handed quarterback, he was when the team first became a team in the 70s, he was their quarterback. Well, a few years ago... Um, we went down to this camp that was being started to have kids come down with special needs. Actually, connection through Sandy Morris's daughter, Robin, knew Jim Zorn's daughter. And Jim Zorn's daughter was really instrumental in bringing this kind of camp to Washington. So we went down there to check it out to see if it could work for Caden. And wouldn't you know it, Jim Zorn is there. I've rooted for the Seahawks for a long time. I was kind of starstruck. It's like, oh, that's Jim Zorn. <laughs> You know, and I go talk to him. I can't talk to him. That's Jim Zorn. And I don't remember. Did we get a picture? I couldn't find. We got a, but I was kind of, there's some glory there, right? This is an NFL player. This guy, he's one of the ones. And there's a sense of reputation. And you guys might think it's silly, but 
substitute somebody that would be meaningful to you, either in a sport or a career field or an academic, like that's the guy that solved the formula and I'm meeting him. Or what? There's just certain ones that have done some things that have some glory about them. And you're being in their presence is a little bit awe-inspiring. There's some reputation there. There's some significance. They did something. They have glory. They have weight. They have splendor. They have honor. They have reputation. So that gives us some earthly sense of glory, how we interact with it. And so the first point here in the sermon about glory is that there's a problem. We can't handle God's glory. He makes Mount Hood look like nothing, right? A massive bull bison, right? That's nothing compared to the glory of God. Certainly Jim Zorn is nothing compared to the glory of God, even though I like him, right? But God's glory is overwhelming. It's massive. It blows any earthly glory away, and humans cannot handle it. So I want to do a little bit of tracing a history here. You can either look on the screen or if you want to jump with me to some scriptures. I want us to see how God's glory in different times in history when it was manifest on the earth, what did it do to humans? And then see how that leads us into the Christmas story, this sort of oxymoron, this thing where you're talking about God's glory and peace on the earth and they don't go together. So the first one, I'm going to jump us back all the way to Exodus um, chapter 19. And so this is following the story of God rescuing his people Israel from slavery in Egypt. And this is a story of sending Moses, and he leads them out, and they go through the Red Sea, and he's leading them along. And then uh, he he finally leads them. A couple months, they get to the base of this mountain called Mount Sinai, where God's going to meet with the people that he's just rescued. He's going to make a covenant with them and say, you're going to be my people. These are the terms. This is how I want you to act. And this is where the Ten Commandments are given. And so this is the scene in chapter 19 when God says, bring the people to the mountain. I'm going to meet with the people there. I'm going to meet with you, Moses, and give you the law. So if we look down in verse 16, they're there. They've been waiting. They've been getting ready. Chapter 19, verse 16. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and very loud trumpet blasts so that all the people in the camp trembled does thunder and lightning make you tremble it can to me it can be it can be very making you afraid verse 17 then moses brought the people out of the camp to meet god and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now mount sinai was wrapped in smoke Because the Lord had descended on it in fire. I thought Mount Hood's pretty glorious, pretty impressive just by itself. Imagine it. You look up. Imagine you look up at Mount Baker. It's wrapped in smoke and on fire. You feeling comfortable at this moment? Remember, they're at the foot of the mountain. They're not, you know, miles away in Bellingham. They're right at the foot of it. the, The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him from the thunder. Okay, so we'll just stop there on that one. So this is the scene, and there's more that goes to it. But I just wanted you to see when God's presence descended on the mountain to meet with his people, 
It was burning, it was on fire, it was lightning and thunder, it's shaking. There's a point when the people say, you know, we'd really rather God not talk to us. You just talk to him, Moses, and tell us what he said. That's too scary. So that's God's glory and produces amazing fear, terror, dread, mountains on fire, shaking, burning. So when they say glory to God, you're not, in this moment, you're not saying, well, that sounds like peace on the earth. And this is ter- they're terrified. And these are the people God's bringing to himself, and it's that terrifying. So a little later on, as the story goes along, the people mess up and get in big trouble. We're going to skip all that. But then Moses, at one point, he's talking to God. He asks God to forgive the people for worshiping a golden calf. You can read those stories another day. But he asks God for something. If you go over to Exodus 33, verse 18, he's Moses is talking to God, and he's interceding for people who are very rebellious, and he asks this question. Exodus thirty-three, eighteen: please show me your glory. Moses is some kind of <laughs> tough guy here. Like, what? Didn't you just see enough of it when the mountain was on fire? Like, was that not enough? He says, show me your glory, verse, chapter 33, verse 18. And And he said, and this is God talking, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So there, the glory of God, we can't survive it. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place By me, where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses says, show me your glory. Show me the very essence of you. I think up to this point, he's talked with the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord. That's a whole other conversation. But he's not seeing the actual glory of God. And he says, I want to see you. And he says, well, you can't. You'll die. But I'll put you in a rock and I'll go by and you can see my back. Don't even know quite what it means. But I just want you to see the, when God's glory is overwhelming, even Moses, his chosen servant, even he says, I can't let you see that. It will kill you. So if you follow the story down to verse 34, Verse 5, this is when it actually happens. This is when God's glory passes by Moses. 34, verse 5. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, or stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God's in front and saying, This is who I am. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. So, He shows him something, but not the full picture. He's like, you see the full picture, you'll die. And he introduces himself like, this is who I am. I'm the Lord. This is where we get the name Yahweh. Yahweh. I'm the Lord. And he says, 
you see even more things there that make this story puzzling, right? I'm gracious, I'm forgiving, I forgive to generations, but I also don't clear the guilty. I don't let it go. So you see, there's more things that we're starting to actually create more oxymorons or enigmas. Okay, how does this work? God's glory brings terror. He says his name is gracious, but he also says, I punish iniquity. So we've got these pieces that kind of, they collide with each other. They don't fit together as the story's unfolding. But we still have this idea of God's glory doesn't bring peace. It brings terror. It actually would bring death if Moses saw the full picture. But then when God introduces himself, he says, I'm very gracious, and I don't clear the guilty. So we've got these things kind of floating out there in, in the history of, our, of God and working with people. So I want you, I'm just going to do a few more of them quickly just to show you, trace the story of God's glory. Moses, you can jump to chapter 40 if you want. Verse 33, God tells them to build this big tent or called the tabernacle where they're going to worship where the sacrifices for their sin will be offered. So when Moses finally finishes building this thing, well, all the people that helped him, it says he erected the cord around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen. Moses finished the work. Okay, he, he builds this thing. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See this theme? God's glory appears, cloud, fear, you can't even go in there. Right? It descends on the mountain, they're afraid. He says, I can't show you my glory, you'll die. When it fills the tabernacle, which he told them to build, which his presence is going to dwell, you can't even go in there because God's glory is so overwhelming. Same thing happened when they built later, years later, Solomon builds an actual structure, a temple, where they were going to do these worships. Same thing, I'll jump to these quickly. First Kings 8, when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. You see this thing building? God's glory shows up. People can't even enter. This doesn't sound peaceful. It's terrifying. It's overwhelming. God's glory creates this problem. Uh, do one more when uh, he appears in a vision to a guy named Isaiah. When God's glory appears, you can look at this in Isaiah 6 if you want to look or Look up here with me. What happens when God shows up to this guy, Isaiah, that he's going to speak through? Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, seeing a vision here, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house filled with smoke. Do you see common elements? Shaking, smoke, glory. And, and I said, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. His response isn't, this is great, this is amazing, I'm so glad I'm here. He's like, I'm done. Woe is me. I'm going to be destroyed. This is too much. All right, so we kind of get the 
I could go more. There's more. Same thing happens to Ezekiel. There's lots of times when God's presence appears in the Old Testament and it does the same thing. People are afraid. They can't enter. They're terrified. They fall over. It's overwhelming. We can't handle God's glory. So how do the angels say glory to God and peace on the earth, right? We've got a, we've got a problem. So this is the second point here is that Christmas begins to solve the problem. This is the good news of Christmas. It begins to allow this to be fixed. It's hinted of in Isaiah chapter 40. This is before the Christmas story, this idea of how, how is this going to get solved? In Isaiah chapter 40, we get a hint of it. Isaiah 40, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. This is the, what John the Baptist begins crying out. He's the one crying out. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there's this announcement. God's glory is going to be seen by all flesh. Normally God's glory was terrifying. You can't see it. You, what do you tell Moses? You can't look at it. But here he says something's going to happen. There's a voice crying in the wilderness. Make the way, make a path, smooth it out, take out the hills, take out the valleys, because God's glory is going to be revealed, and you can see it. And that's where we get to our Christmas story. All the way back to Luke chapter 2, we start to see this thing where God's glory that's overwhelming, and then this promise, no, you're going to see the glory, we're going to see it. So we're back to the shepherds, right? The shepherds are out in the field, they're keeping watch over their flock by night, Another long, boring night shift, watching sheep. What do you do out there? And then surprise, right? The angel of the Lord appeared. They were afraid. So here we are, back to the glory and fear. But what does he say? Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. So a Savior is coming. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I don't know very many people who've walked in to see a baby and they were terrified of glory. If you're a first-time parent, you might be terrified with, I don't know what to do now. The first diaper I ever changed was my own kids. I I didn't know babysitting. So there's a little bit of fear, like, I don't know what I do with this thing. Where's the manual? But most of the time when you come, it's most like, oh. Right? Isn't that what happens when you come into the presence of a baby? Oh, look at him. How big, how long, how heavy. Right? You got all those. Is he eating? That's how the glory of God comes in a non-terrifying way. A baby. And a baby, not just a baby, he's actually laying in a feed box. A manger. That the glory of God could be wrapped up in a baby that's not terrifying to anyone, and then so low he's in, a, he's in a feed box. 
That's the, that's the action of it. John tells us the theology of it. If you go to the opening of John, I want you to see how he describes this event. How could the glory of God not kill us? Opening of John 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we have this picture of the creating God. It's not a singular. He's the Word, He, with the Father. The Son of God is the eternal creator with the Father. If you jump down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glories of the only from the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What did Moses say? I want to see it. He says, You can't see it. But here John says, We saw it. There's a, a great book that Jesus I never knew. And uh, Philip Yancey gives this amazing illustration of how uh, how this can work. It's an illustration he gives with his fish tank. He's, he's an author, but he said for some reason, one time in his life, he got really into saltwater fish tanks, which take a ton of effort to get the, the salt water right and to get all the chemicals right so you don't like cook the fish and, or don't get it too low. So he said he had this saltwater aquarium and he spent all this time and he said he'd come up to it to feed him and his fish only ever looked at him with a sense of terror and dread. He would approach the tank, they hide. He reaches out to feed them, they hide. And he's like, don't they know that I've put all this effort into getting the chemical makeup right and I have a saltwater pool at my house and so it's not, there is some tricks to it. If it gets wrong, it's kind of too much of this. If it's too low, it turns green. And there's some, he's like, I'm putting all these efforts into making this saltwater pool or the saltwater aquarium the right specs for you and the right temperature and the right chemical mix and then I put food in there and all you do is run from me. The only way I could explain to those fish that I'm there for their good is to be a fish and go in the tank and say, hey, that big hand up there, he's good, right? That's his illustration. How does the glory of God become a place of peace? Well, God takes on flesh. God becomes a baby. God enters in and says, I know there's a terrifying sense of the presence of God, but he's good. And he, there is a plan And so Christmas begins to solve the problem. How can we have God's glory and have peace? John says we saw his glory. We saw him do miracles that no one else can do. We heard him teach and explain things that no one else has ever explained. We saw that it was God, but he was in the flesh. This is the... This is why the, the hark the herald angels sing the second stanza says veiled in flesh the Godhead see. He wrapped flesh on himself to limit the glory so that it doesn't kill them. That's how John could say, we saw the glory because he covered it in flesh. It was still there, right? He did the miracles. There's one time he goes up on a mountain and amazingly a cloud covers, a loud voice, and Jesus is glowing. There's just a moment he kind of winked like, I'm, I'm still the God of glory. I'm just going to wink at you right here. And then he covers it back up. So that's where Christmas begins. God in the flesh. 
the eternal Son of God in the flesh, but you could behold his glory and you didn't die. But the cross actually finishes the job. Christmas starts it. The incarnation starts it. It starts this process. It starts to solve the the oxymoron, but the cross finishes it. Jump over to John chapter 12. Jesus has been ministering for as adult then three years. And he's been showing his glory. He's been healing. He's been teaching. In John chapter 12, verse 23, at a crowd of, at a, after a crowd comes to him, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Hmm. Does that mean to be splendor? Does that mean to let the weight back out? Does that mean to be transfigured like he did before? Does that mean he's going to suddenly appear in overwhelming power and the mountain's going to shake? What's it going to be like when the Son of Man is glorified? Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He goes from glory to immediately talking about death. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So Jesus says, now is the moment for me to be glorified, for me to be put on display. And he's immediately talking about death and sacrifice. He's immediately saying, I'm troubled. Can you save me? Should we stop this thing? No, this is actually why I'm here. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. So here we have a moment of Jesus saying, glorify your name, and we have the overwhelming presence again, don't we? We have the loud, thunderous voice from heaven saying, I have glorified my name. I glorified it in everything Jesus did. Every miracle, every healing, every bruised reed that he wouldn't break, every injured person he brought to himself, every teaching. He says, I put my glory on display in the life of Jesus, and I'm going to glorify it again in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it thundered. Verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. He's like, I talk to him all the time. I know what he sounds like, but I wanted you to hear it. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the, the heart of God's glory, when he puts his most splendor, his most majesty on display, is Jesus on a cross. And this puts the pieces together, right? The glory of God, his splendor, his reputation, his power that we can't handle goes into Jesus' flesh that we can handle, and then all of our sin goes on to him. And that glorifies God more than anything else. It also solves what he told Moses, right? He told Moses, I'm gracious and forgiving, and I don't clear the guilty. Let me show you this over in Romans. 
It's exactly what he does. In Romans 3.23, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. He put him forward as the payment, the sacrifice, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So he told Moses, I don't clear the guilty, but he delayed the punishment. I passed over. I held him back. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's saying, I passed over, I held that judgment back, and I put it all on my son Jesus so that I am just. I didn't say all the guilty can go free, no big deal, sin all you want, be evil all you want, I don't care. He didn't say that. He said, no, 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 I'm just. I put it on Jesus, but I also justify you who have faith in Jesus that that act on the cross pays for your sin. And that puts those pieces together. That's how he can tell Moses, I'm gracious and just because the cross takes the justice of God and the grace of God and puts them together. Just as the flesh of Jesus takes the glory of God and brings us the peace of God. That's why Christmas finally allows God's glory to bring peace on earth. The brightest, shining splendor of God was him dying and rising again to save us. It's no longer this overwhelming, terrifying event. It is now the grace of God to die and rise again. And that's why we're worshiping. That's why we're praising. That's why it's not an oxymoron to say glory to God and peace on the earth because of what I did by coming and dying and rising. That is why. Let me show you this one more. See where I am. I did that one. Oh, yeah, that one. Romans 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So when you put your faith in Jesus, I believe that you are the eternal Son of God, come in the flesh, died for sins, rose again. When I believe that, then I have peace with you. Then your glory isn't a terrifying sign of my utter doom. right? Your glory is a terrifying, wonderful sign of my life to be with you. So when you have faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace, the thing he told Moses, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So no longer is the glory of God a thing of absolute terror and dread. It's something we will enter into. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the future expectation that we will enter into that and not be afraid and not run, it will be joyful. It will be, we will be glorified. We will be with him. We will be like him. So Christmas finally allows God's glory to bring peace on earth through Jesus. Let's wrap up with a few thoughts. There's nothing like this on earth. There's a lot of seeking of glory. Right? There's a lot of people are trying to create their own glory through their own feats, their own wealth, their own accomplishments, or trying to link themselves to someone who's doing great things. And all those things are self-seeking. Their glory on earth is glory that promotes me 
and right now and getting me ahead. That's earthly glory. I want to raise myself up. I want to be known. I want to have this many followers, whatever. Right? That's earthly glory is seeking to prop up. God's glory was to lower down. There's nothing like this on earth. There's nothing that will say, I will sacrifice to the lowest to bring you into my glory. In fact, I was just reading an article about that last night. People said, what's it like to really be a friend of a social influencer? Meaning people who get lots of followers on their channels. And they said, we hate it. Because every time we're with them, they're filming everything we eat and every story we tell, and they don't have time for me anymore. And this idea I'm seeking some kind of social media glory was ruining their real relationships because it was all fake. When God's glory, he says, I'm going to lower myself to bring you into an eternal relationship for eternal peace. There's nothing like this on earth. This is God himself. His glory saves us. This is our peace. Whether we admit it or not, a lot of our life, if we really thought, there's God and I'm going to face him, we don't have peace. When we really look at who we are and go, I have done this and I know this was wrong, whether someone told me it or not, or I feel it in my spirit, we don't have peace. The idea of dying and facing God is not peaceful. The idea of living and going, he's there and I'm going to have to talk to him, is not peaceful. But when you have this Christmas story and the Easter story, you suddenly go, I can have peace with God. He's forgiven my sins. I can be fully in his presence. That is our peace, and this is our hope. Is anybody getting a little weary of life on earth in 2021? Right? Is it getting a little worn down, right? Just, just COVID itself is a reminder. This thing's broken. Right? Death is a reminder. This thing's broken. Economies are goofed up. There's armies amassing borders on other countries. Right? There's famines going on. Right? This Afghanistan is in just utter mess and starvation of children. It is broken here. There is no earthly glory. And we have this hope to be in the glory of God. Where the new heavens and new earth, new earth fix this. There's not suffering, there's not dying, and there's not war, and there's not disease. This is our hope, is the glory of God. Christmas finally allows God's glory to bring peace on the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you that you came and veiled yourself in flesh. You came to us in a way that we could handle, because we can never come to you. We needed you to bridge the gap. I just pray that you would give us peace, or if we're disturbed, if we're distressed, if we don't know you, that you give us peace as we come to a relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that we would put our hope squarely on you, not the things of this world, not political things and financial things and relational things, that our true hope is in the glory of God that comes at the return of Jesus. Let us, our eyes be fixed there. Let our eyes be focused there, not despairing and not discouraged. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to do it. We worship you as the God who reigns forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.